You may be seated. Sorry, I had my microphone off. What wonderful singing this morning. Thank you so much for taking time on a, on a rainy Sunday morning to be here and to worship uh, together. And uh, we want to jump right into our series this morning in Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. And we're going to continue our study about a life of faith. And uh, there are notes in the back. If you need uh, notes to uh, the message this morning, you can raise your hand and uh, Pastor John will get those to you. And, uh, and that way you can uh, write down and we can uh, grow together as we study God's Word. Uh, let me just say, as we're doing that, as we're turning to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, I do want to say thank you to each, uh, each one that helped in our fundraiser yesterday for uh, raising funds for camp, whether you were selling plates or serving or doing both. Thank you so much. In fact, we uh, not only sold all our plates, I think we sold even more than we had and had to buy a few more uh, boxes of chicken. And, uh, and it was just a, an awesome day yesterday of seeing what God was doing through that fundraiser. And uh, we're going to be able to send uh, our kids and teens to camp this summer because of your sacrifice. And, uh, and I just want to say thank you to each, each and every one of you. Um, I, I don't think we should ever take it lightly. When, uh, when someone donates their time and gives uh, with a heart of love and sacrifice to God. Uh, God doesn't take it lightly, and neither should we. And uh, I just want to say thank you to each one, uh, honestly, for, for all that you did yesterday and all that we're, we're doing as a church uh, to, uh, to give the gospel to as many people as we can and to see our, our children and our teenagers grow in, uh, in the faith and admonition of the Lord. Well, Hebrews chapter number 11 is where we've been studying, and we've been talking about a life of faith. It's the journey that we're on if we are a Christian this morning. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then our life ought to reflect that faith. And the book of Hebrews is a book that was written to the Jewish Christians to teach them and to share with them how faith is the essential thing in the life of a person that believes in God. Uh, the life of faith is essential. Uh, you've got to understand that they're coming from a life that they were taught that if you just follow these rules, what is known as the law of Moses, if you just follow all these rules and regulations, then you're pleasing God. And, uh, and the, the book of Hebrews teaches that Jesus is the high priest, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that faith in Him and a life of faith is really what honors God, not sacrifices and, and uh, uh, things offered on an altar. Though those were ways that God established to have a relationship with Him, those were done away with when Jesus came. When he gave his life on the cross, he was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And faith in him gives you a new relationship. The uh, Hebrews chapter 10, there's a new and better way through Christ. Now we have a personal relationship with God. Now we have a faith that is alive. And now we're supposed to live that faith. And Hebrews chapter 11, once you get to that part of the letter, he's telling uh, his audience, he's writing to them and saying, this is what a life of faith looks like. Now, a life of faith has always been what honors God. Though we've given sacrifices before, and though we have the law of Moses, and it's good to not steal and not kill, and to honor your father and mother, and to have no other gods before the God of the Bible, though all those things are good and right, we fall short of actually living those every day. 
And those are things that, though they are holy, do not fully honor God. A life of faith has always been what honors God. And that's why he starts even from the life of Abel. That life of faith that Abel had honored God. The life of faith that Noah had honored God. The the life of faith that Enoch had honored God. The life of faith that Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, their lives all reflect a life of faith. And that's really what honored God. Now, as we study the life of Abraham, we've seen that The life of faith includes times when God calls you to do something, calls you out of something. And in Abraham's case, he called him out of the land of Ur to go to a a land that was promised to him. A land that he didn't know which one it was exactly, what it looked like, where it was located. But God said, I just need you to get out of the land of Ur. And, And there's faith in our lives that we have to exercise or live out when God calls us out of something. Our life is a holy life. That means it's, it's a separated life. It's a life that is different, a life that's been called out and different from what the world is living for and living in. Then we learn that faith also includes a life of faith. It also includes exercising faith in the middle of impossible conditions. When, when things are really difficult and, 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 and when, when there's weaknesses or, and when there's difficulties, how does a life of faith react? And we learned that last week, how, how a, faith, a life of faith really is revealed. And we, we learned about Sarah in her weakness and, and Abraham in his weakness was given strength through their faith, through believing, through trusting to through living that life of faith in the middle of difficulties they were they were strengthened and in spite of things that was happening in their life faith got them through now we're going to continue our study in verse number 17 and and we're going to find that our faith if it is real faith a life of faith is going to have to go through trials Our faith will go through trials. In fact, every genuine Christian will face a trial of their faith at some point in their life. At some point, if you are a true believer, if you're following God by faith, at some point, something will happen to try your faith. To see how strong your faith really is. To see if it's genuine faith, almost like gold being purified by fire. Our faith will be purified as well through the different trials of life. Notice what the author says in verse number 17, Hebrews 11. He says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. We find now 
that the author focuses a life of faith on trials. On impossible commands that it seems like God is asking of those that are following him. Impossible things like offering your only son. Through circumstances of life or through God's direct working, our faith will be pushed to a point where it will have to decide to continue moving forward or just stop in its tracks. You see, the trying of our faith really proves our faith. When the trials of God come into our life, the purpose of them, of why God's allowed them, or why God has actually sent those trials, is to make our faith stronger, to purify our faith, to, to prove our faith. In 1799, a, a little boy, 12-year-old by the name of Conrad Reed, who was living in North Carolina at the time, went fishing at a river that was near his property called Little Meadow Creek. And as he was fishing, he, he saw there in the water, because the water was pretty clear, he saw a rock. And it had like a different kind of look to it, a different kind of shade. And he thought, okay, I'll, I'm gonna, that looks pretty cool. He, he, he went into the water, grabbed this uh, rock out, weighed about 17 pounds, and, and he took it home. And uh, he was showing his dad, John Reed, uh, the, the, the stone that he got. And his dad, you know, was like, oh, okay, that's nice. And, and um, you know, obviously, dad and, and the son kind of just looking at a rock. He's like, well, what do you do with a rock? So they decided to use it as a doorstop. In fact, for three years, from 1799, when they found it, to 1802, they just used it at a, as a doorstop in their, in their home. Well, um, near the end of the year there, um, the dad, John Reed, decides to say, you know what, I, I should probably take this, this stone somewhere and just see what it is. I mean, I know my son likes it, and, and it, it kind of has this weird color to it, but, you know, I should probably take it and, and see what it is, what kind of stone it is. So he took it to a jeweler in town, and uh, the jeweler began to examine the rock and began to kind of work the rock to see what it, kind of rock it was. And it turned out to be a 17-pound nugget of gold. In fact, at that time, it was worth $3,600. That would be roughly, in today's market, a little over $100,000. $100,000 being used as a doorstop for three years. But I didn't know what he had. He didn't know the value of that rock. He was just kind of using it any way he could during those three years. You know, sometimes when the trials of life come, when, when our faith is being tried, we don't always realize just how valuable it is. We don't always know that God is using this for a certain purpose. We just kind of feel like, I just need to survive right now. God is, God is asking of me something that I don't even know if I can do. And, and you're just kind of, feeling like you got to keep your, your head above water. And it's not till you look back after the trial that you go, wow, I'm glad God allowed that to happen. Or I'm glad God sent that into my life. These Jewish Christians were going through persecution, as we've said. They were going through times of suffering. And can I say that the trying of our faith 
Sometimes is God allowing something to happen in, into coming into our life uh, as he did for Job? If you remember, it wasn't God that sent the wind. God just allowed the devil to use the wind. It wasn't God that sent Job diseases. He just kind of allowed Satan to have the power to send diseases Job's way. And sometimes God allows our faith to be tried by allowing circumstances to come. But there are other times when God directly tries our faith. And it's not allowing something, it's him making something happen in your life. In this case, Abraham is being told by God, offer up your son. This wasn't the devil's working. It wasn't just bad circumstances of life. Now it is God asking him to do something because he wants to try his faith. And what do you do when God's trying your faith? We know what to do when circumstances come into our life and we need strength. But, but what happens when God directly tries your faith? When he asks you to do something that you would think, why would God ask me to do that? Why is God doing this in my life? How is our faith to react then? How does a life of faith look like when being tested? Well, I want to share with you two truths about that this morning quickly. Number one, Faith believes when it seems there's no hope. When you're going through a trial and it seems like all hope is lost and God is, is directly responsible for that trying of your faith, real faith will believe even though it seems like there's no hope. Now I want you to think about this. God is asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham had waited 25 years for Isaac to be born. He was 100 years old when Isaac was born. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how old Isaac was when God asked him to offer up Isaac, but he was old enough to walk. He was old enough to help him with sacrifices, old enough to build an altar. So I don't know, anywhere probably between 13, and I've heard some commentators think that he was maybe even as old as 30 years old at this point. But here's God telling Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. Now, you'll notice the passage said his only son. Now, Isaac wasn't Abraham's only son. If you remember, 13 years before Isaac was born, Ishmael was born to Abraham. But he was born to Hagar, his maid, and he was not the son of promise. He was not the son that God had been promising him. He got ahead of God, tried to do it his own way, and it didn't work out very well. But Isaac was the son of promise. He was the one that he had been waiting for. And so in his mind, it was the only one that God had promised that he would send a savior through. God had said, through Isaac, you're going to have descendants more than the stars of heaven. I mean, Isaac is this promised son. And now he's asking him to sacrifice that promise, that future hope, <laughs> that thing that Abraham had been waiting for literally since he left the land of Ur. What does Abraham's faith do when God asks him to give up Isaac, his only son? 
you'll notice that he sacrificed it. He sacrificed him. Abraham's faith trial asked of him everything he had. You know that God does the same with us today? Now, he might not literally ask you. Actually, I know. I can guarantee he's not asking you to sacrifice your son. Literally. But God still tries our faith by asking for the most precious thing we have. God still tries our faith by asking for our all. You know, sometimes that's your future plans. That's the business that you want to start up. That's the, 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 the thing that you want your children to do. It's, it's sometimes that savings that you and your wife have been, have been building up for years now. It's that, 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 that dream that you've been pursuing. Sometimes God says, that's what I want. Sometimes God tries our faith by asking for our all. And what does a, a life of faith do when God is asking for our all? It sacrifices everything. Sometimes God asks for our possessions and our treasures, sometimes our abilities, our ambition, but he just wants it all. And a life of faith responds in those situations by giving our all. You see, God's greatest glory comes as a result of giving our all. And when that happens, when we decide like Abraham did by faith to give all that we have, then we see God in a whole new reality. We see him supply our needs, our wants, and our desires in a way we never thought that he would ever do. In fact, I put this in your notes in Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 14. This is, this is when Abraham was about to stab Isaac on the altar and, and an angel stopped Abraham. And he says, don't do it. And God told Abraham, now I know you were willing to sacrifice. You had your son on the altar and in your mind, he was sacrificed. He was dead. Now I know because of what you did through this trial that you really do love me more than anything. That you have surrendered all to me. And notice what Abraham responds. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. In other words, God provided like I'd never seen before. Jehovah Jireh, I think it's written somewhere on our auditorium back here. The, the Hebrew uh, name, the literal translation is God Jehovah provides. When we give our all in the middle of a trial, God begins to provide in ways we had not seen before. We, we, we know God like we'd not known him before. He, he does what we never thought he would do before. You know, when J. Wilbur Chapman was in London, he was a pretty well-known evangelist, and he had a, an opportunity to meet General Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. And um, by this time, General Booth was in, in his 80s. And, and uh, Dr. Chapman, this evangelist, um, went to, to speak to, uh, to General Booth about the 
about the Salvation Army, and, and he asked him, what would you say, uh, Brother Booth, what, what would you say is the secret to your success, the secret to seeing salva the Salvation Army do what it is doing, and God blessing it the way he's blessing it? What would you, what would you say is the secret to that? Well, General Booth uh, hesitated for a second. Then Dr. Chapman says, I saw tears begin to run down his cheeks. And he said, I'll tell you the secret. The secret is this. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart, and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there's anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. I say this morning, in the trying of your faith, as God asks for that which is most precious to you, that thing that, you're, that your hope is hanging on, that when we decide to sacrifice all, you'll see God do something you've never seen him do before. To this day, the Salvation Army has an impact in our world. William Booth lived over 100 years ago, established that ministry so long ago, and yet it continues. Why? Oh, because he has a great strategy. No. Oh, because he has great financial backing for the Salvation Army. No. God blesses that ministry because of the faith of William Booth. Because when he was tried in his life, when God had asked him for all that he had, he responded with, I'm all yours. We find that Abraham sacrificed all, but notice that in verse number 18 or 19, he also accounted for some things. Our faith ought to respond by accounting for God's person and power. The word accounting here is the Greek word legizomai, which means to reckon or to count. It's it's in the middle voice here. And if you remember last week, middle voice means that the subject is doing something and receiving something. And so here he's saying, Abraham did this. He believed God. He accounted for God. He was, he was reckoning. He was counting that God would do this and that he was going to receive something as well. It's a banking term, literally. Whenever, and you'll see this term translated in, in some Bibles in, in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 11, as reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin. It means to count. It's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a banking term. You know, uh, if you know a little bit about uh, banking, you know that there's debits and credits, right? And for every debit, you need to have the credit that's there. Uh, the, the, the credit is what's in your bank account. What's debited is what you're spending out of that bank account. Now, we don't use this as much today uh, as it used to be um, long ago because we have credit cards now, and so now you can spend money that you don't even have in your account, right? Uh, but for many years, that was not the case. 
for many years, uh, many used to use checks, and maybe some of us still do. I, I, I rarely use checks. I do have a checkbook, but I rarely use the checkbook. Now it's just, you know, uh, Apple Pay or use your credit card, swipe your debit card. Um, very, very rarely do, do I write checks. But if I were to write you a check today for a million dollars, and you were go to the, your bank and try to deposit that, um, in about a day or two, they'll, they'll tell you that that check's going to bounce because I don't have a million dollars in my account, right? Now, if I gave you a check and you found out that I won the lottery, go and cash that as quick as possible, right? Now, why would you go and deposit that check knowing that I won the lottery if I gave you a check of a million dollars? You would do that because you would be reckoning. You would be saying, he's given me a million, but he just won a billion. So that, that check is good. It's not going to bounce. Normally, it wouldn't go through, but it's going to go through because he just won the lottery. I know he's got a billion dollars in his account. So this, this, this check of a million is good. That's what Abraham is doing. Saying, God, you're asking for my everything? You want my business, you want my abilities, you want my family, you want my time, you want my money, you want it all. It's yours. Because I'm counting on the fact that your person and your power is true to who you are. I'm counting on the fact that God has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So you're always we with me. I'm counting on the fact that God says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I created this world. All the gold in the world is mine and all the riches of this world are mine. And, and I'm counting that as true. And if all of that is true, then what I'm giving you is really already yours. You see, when he accounted for Isaac and he put him on the altar, he said, He's dead. He's dead to me. But here's what I believe. Here's what I believe about God. I believe that if God is asking me this, even though it seems hopeless and it seems contrary, like God would never do that. I don't know why he's asking me to do this, but he's asking me to do this. And here's what I'm thinking. That even if I do that, like take my son's life, he'll resurrect him. Can I say resurrection had not happened yet? By the way, Jesus wasn't the first one to resurrect. Elijah resurrected a little boy. Elisha resurrected two people in his lifetime. Lazarus resurrected before Jesus died on the cross. The only difference between Jesus' resurrection and everyone else's resurrection is Jesus never died again. That little boy that Elisha raised died again. The two people that that Elisha, the prophet, raised from the dead died again. Lazarus died again. The, the, the little girl that Jesus resurrected in his ministry died again. But Jesus never died again. He is alive forevermore. That's why the Bible says, because he lives, we too shall live. We, we have eternal life because he has eternal life. But Abraham was counting that, hey, God, I'm counting and believing that you can do this. When your faith is being tried, that's what you got to believe. Account it for God. 
Put in your notes and don't have time to read it. Genesis chapter 50. Joseph told his brothers, you guys, you thought when you sold me into slavery, you thought, and when you, when you learned of what has happened, you thought, man, look how bad we've treated him. Surely he hates us. Surely he wants to kill us. Now dad is dead. He was the only one stopping Joseph from taking revenge. Now dad is dead. Joseph said, you see, you thought it was bad. But God thought it was good. And I was reckoning that God was going to use this somehow. And when I was in that jail and nobody remembered me and Pharaoh's servants didn't help me, I knew God would. His faith was still strong, even through the trials. How? By sacrificing all he had and accounting, reckoning God's person and his power. Because God is life, he'll give me life. And even if my dreams were to die, God can resurrect them. Even if my wealth were to disappear, God would still provide for me. Number one, faith believes when it seems that hope is lost. Let me give you the second truth and we'll, we'll be done. Faith believes when looking to the future. You look at verse 20 and 21 and 22, the author begins to speak about Isaac and Jacob and Esau and Joseph. Now, when Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, you see this in verse number 20. He blessed them both with future material blessings. In fact, we don't have time to go back to the story, but if you're, if you're unfamiliar with the story, Jacob was the younger brother. And in these times when Isaac was alive, the oldest son always got uh, the, the, the first blessing. It was the bigger blessing. It was the, the, the bigger in, 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 in three different ways. Let me, let me give you real quick the three different ways it was you know, bigger and different if you were the firstborn and, and, and not the secondborn. The, the, the blessing that was given to you was different in three different ways. Number one, it made you the head of the household. So, um, you know, in the family gatherings, who's going to be making the decision? Well, the, the firstborn. I mean, he's the head of the household. All his siblings were going to be under his authority. He was the head of the household. It's like he took dad's place. He's the boss. Number two, the second thing of receiving that, uh, that firstborn blessing is that it made you the priest of the family. You, you were able to go before God and speak and have this relationship before God for your family. The third way is financially. You got double what everybody else got. So if your younger brother got $100,000, you were getting $200,000. If he got five acres of land, you were getting 10 acres of land. Now, when you read the story, you find that Esau was really mad that Jacob stole his blessing. But he was only mad because of the third reason. The Bible says Esau didn't care about being the priest. Esau had no care about being the next uh, uh, household of faith and being the, the head of that household. He, he had no interest in that. All he wanted was the money. He was mad at Jacob. You stole my money. By the way, in that blessing, he still had money. He was still blessed, and you can read the story. Him and Jacob end up reconciling, and 
And yet Isaac blessed both of them. But Jacob wanted that greater blessing. And then you find that in verse 21, Jacob now is blessing the next generation, blesses the sons of Joseph. And then you see Joseph blessing the children of Israel, the, the nation of Israel. So what does all this have to do with us today? What, what, what does it matter what Isaac did blessing his kids, Jacob and, and Esau? What does it matter that Jacob blessed Joseph's sons? Does it matter that Joseph blessed Israel? It teaches us one thing. And this is the point of why he's writing this. He's teaching those Christians that faith believes when looking to the future, when, you're, when your faith is being tried, you've got to look to the future. And you need to hold future blessings as greater than present realities. Hold future blessings as greater than present realities. You know, one of the greatest challenges to our faith is the aspect of having to live for and patiently wait for future blessing. <laughs> this is hard. Uh, for instance, how many know this morning that heaven is so much better than earth? Right? But how many say, I want to be there right now. Let me take my life. I know it's different. We say, when, when God takes our life, I'm ready to go into the heaven. I'm ready to see those that have gone before. I'm, I'm ready for a world where there's no pain and no suffering. I'm ready for that. I just don't know if I'm ready right now. Right? I can wait in line. God, when you're ready, and after I've seen my grandchildren, maybe even some of my great-grandchildren, then you can take me. You know, by then I might not be able to get out of bed. Then I'm really going to want heaven. But it's hard when you're 20 and 25 years old to, to think about those future blessings. Because they don't seem as real as today's blessings. Heaven doesn't seem as real as, you know, my bank statement. We live in a world that desires everything right away, right? Microwaves, fast food restaurants, instant email a live stream. Like, I, I want to see it now while it's happening. No, you can see the rerun. I don't want the rerun. Uh, we, 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 we rarely want to be patient and wait for something because we don't enjoy doing that. We want everything now. Yet, can I say to experience the most joyful life as a Christian, you're going to have to hold on to the future promises as something greater than what God has given you presently. The future blessings, we don't always see them clearly, and we don't fully understand them. You say, Pastor, what's heaven going to be like? I'm not really sure exactly. It's going to be better than this world, absolutely. But how exactly? What are we going to be doing? I've had people ask me, what are we going to be doing for all of eternity? I have no idea. God doesn't exactly tell us what, what that's going to be like. But I know it's a reality. I know we're closer today than we've ever been. But, 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 but it's, hard to, it's hard to grasp that. It's hard to live for that because we're just not going to see it. 
We're not going to see it now. But you see, when our faith is being tried by God, that's what will sustain you. That's what the author's saying. What sustained Isaac when he was blessing his children? The future promise. What sustained Jacob when he was in Egypt saying, I don't want to be here. I don't want to die here. Can y'all bury me back in the, in the promised land? Why, do you have a house back there? I don't. I live in tents. But if you could just bury me there, because that's where God promised the future to be. Joseph, in verse 22, told the people of, of Israel, listen, you're, you're living here now, and it's nice, and we are well favored, and Pharaoh loves us. But there'll come a time when God is going to get us out of Egypt, and he's going to take us to the promised land. Can you take my bones when you go? You see, his eyes were to the future. The future was greater than the present. He was second in command. Had a nice pyramid waiting for him as a tomb. Had all the riches that he wanted there living in Egypt. But his focus wasn't there. You got to hold future blessings as greater than present realities. And then you got to act on the future blessings now. You see... By the time we're in heaven, it's too late to invest. Investing is done now. Living for future blessings is done now. Not tomorrow. For what is life? It is but a vapor that appeareth and then vanisheth away. We don't know when our last day on earth is going to be. So investing is now. Living for future blessings is living today. Paul said to those Christians in Rome, in Romans 13, he says, this is all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Why? Wake up, he's saying. Because future blessings is now. Acting on those future blessings and living for those future blessings is now. Listen, this morning, I don't, I don't know if your faith is going through a trial. Could be that you're here and you're facing something that only you know about. What does a life of faith do when God is trying your faith? When it seems like he's taking away all your hope for the future? When it seems like I don't know how to move forward if that's what God is asking me to do? What do you do? Give it your all. Give God all you have. And then live for the future blessings today.
hold them as something greater than the present reality. We're not taking anything we have right now with us. So investing in the future is so important. You know, how we respond to the trying of our faith makes all the difference in the world. You can respond by sacrificing all you have and accounting to God for who he is, or you don't. You can respond by looking to the future as the greater reality and acting upon those realities now, or not. It's really up to you. Each one of us has to make that decision. But I want to encourage you to live a life of faith. Live a life that is living for the future blessings. Live a life that believes even when it seems like hope is gone. You know, all genuine Christians will have their faith tested. At one point or another in your life, it will. Moving forward is all about what you do when you're being tried. It's believing when hope is gone. By just sacrificing and accounting that God will do what he, do, what he does. This morning, I hope we'll apply the truth of faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the examples of Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Men that, when their faith was tried, responded. Responded by sacrificing. By reckoning that you were a God that does not lie. They responded by looking to the future future blessings not living for the here and now but rather for what really matters and what is coming Father I don't know whose faith this morning is being tried whether someone here that's in the auditorium or maybe someone watching through the live stream but you're doing something in their life and you're asking of them something that they might feel they cannot do. That if they do, it might mean losing everything. Oh, Father, I pray, give them the faith to say it's all yours anyways. To reckon that you're a God that supplies all our needs according to your riches and glory. God that has future blessings waiting for us. That if we just act now, how much sweeter they'll be. How much greater they'll be when we are there. Give us the faith to believe that and to live in that manner. Be with us this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.